Welcome back to These Truths, a World Voices podcast exploring literature and the deeper truths that connect us. I'm Chip Raleigh, director of the Penn World Voices Festival. Today, we listen in on a discussion between Mexican authors Fernanda Melchor and Yuri Herrera, who discuss the importance of silences in storytelling and how literature can open the door to a more truthful and more complicated understanding of culture. Born in Veracruz, Mexico, Fernanda Melchor is one of the most exciting new voices of Mexican literature. Her novel, Hurricane Season, translated by Sophie Hughes, was shortlisted for the International Booker Prize. Her story collection, This Is Not Miami, is forthcoming from New Directions. Yuri Herrera is widely hailed as one of Mexico's finest writers. In 2016, he shared the Best Translated Book Award for his novel, Signs Preceding the End of the World, with translator Lisa Dillman. His most recent works include A Silent Fury, The El Bordo Mine Fire, and the short story collection, Diez Planetas. He is an associate professor at Tulane University in New Orleans. Here are Fernanda and Yuri in conversation. I'm Yuri Herrera. I am a writer living in New Orleans. I am originally from the state of Hidalgo in Mexico. My name is Fernanda Melchor. I'm a writer from Mexico, author of the book Hurricane Season. Uh, that's a novel that takes place in a small, impoverished village uh, in the south of uh, Mexico. And the novel begins when a group of children find the corpse of the village which and progresses into the testimonies and and of the uh, the inhabitants of that small uh, village i wanted to create a, a novel that played with the rules of uh, detective fiction but at the same time i wanted to talk about uh, uh the deep realities of uh mexico and veracruz especially the 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 huge problem we had with femicide and um family uh disintegration at first i wanted to to write a non-fiction story uh truman capote's in cold blood because actually i was inspired by uh uh story news that i that i read in the paper a couple of years ago and in this uh in this story the reporter talked about the murder of a of a village witch that happened very near Veracruz. That's the city port I, I'm from. I, I just read this story and I really wanted to find out why this person was murdered and why was witchcraft being uh, quoted as a motive for a murder. I just thought that was uh, very, very Veracruzanian-like, that kind of, uh, of a motive. And I wanted to explore what was behind the murder of a, of a woman in a small place. But the reality was that it was very dangerous to travel to the rural areas in Veracruz at that time, um, 2012. And even if I could get to the, to the, to the murderers, even if I, uh, could ask them why they did that uh, atrocious act, maybe they wouldn't even tell me. So 
I decided to explore that act, that crime, that murder through fiction, because I think fiction is another way of telling the truth. Writing fiction uh, can get us close to the truth also. Fernanda, you, you just uh, pretty much uh, answered a couple of things that I wanted to ask you. I was actually thinking about asking you what you took from your journalistic background and what you took from the crime fiction tradition, because it's really obvious that in this book you are you are using certain elements from this these two kinds of of writing, and. Um, But, but you, you said a word that it is really interesting for me when you said that you wanted to explore. And that exploration has less to do with actually exploring uh, a hill or exploring a town. And it has more to do with a moral exploration and a narratological exploration as different kind of explanation of the facts. I, I wonder if you, you, you can expand a little bit more on On, on what what it means uh, uh, when we talk about a literary exploration on reality. Yes, uh, I think I'm always doing that in a very instinctual way. Uh, for me, I, I've been interviewed a lot <laughs> in the in the past time because of the nomination for the Booker uh, International Award. People um, are interested in in knowing. Also, like the keys uh, from which it it, uh, it it came to be, but uh, for me, it's always so difficult to to talk about this kind of exploration because for me, it's something like a trance where I try to imagine what it's like to be uh, a, a total different being uh, from what I am, and at the same time, trying to share uh, the same emotions. Or trying to share a common background. So, when I was writing my first book, I have a, a nonfiction essay. Uh, we, we call it in Mexico Crónicas, uh, this kind of a literary genre that takes journalism, but at the same time tells a real story with the tools of fiction. And I was always interested in trying to understand reality through subjectivity in this case mine or or a witnesses or or, or uh, somebody else's of subjectivity i think that reality sometimes is so vast and complex that we need to put on these uh, particular glasses these uh, subjectivity glasses to be able to grasp what the world is or or to explain to ourselves For me, exploring reality through literature is always trying to understand. There is this song of a um, um, uh, Spaniard singer, Alejandro Sanz, and he has this song that, that's called Amiga. Uh, I love quoting uh, pop references and, and pop, pop music all the time. And there's a part when he, he tries to explain why is he singing this song to his girlfriend, And he says, this is not my job. This is my language. And, and for me, writing a novel is, is just that. It's never a job. It's more like the language I talk to try to explain myself uh, what the hell is going on in the world. 
everything you you, you say uh, really resonates with, with, with many things that I have thought, but you you say say it much better because uh, the 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 truth or, or reality is not a rigid, stable thing to grasp, but it's something that we recreate using our emotions. The, the, the emotional relation we have with reality is part of the truth. That's something that I was thinking. And that's something that I, I also wanted to ask you uh, regarding the, the narrative voice of hurricane season, because this narrative voice is at the same time a sort of character without a body and also like a synthesis of and the ethical way in which you try to approach this terrible, terrible world. And I feel that even though you talk about all this cruelty and about all this moral misery, and for me, this is one of the great achievements of your novel, uh, you also get to be really respectful in some other level towards the people that populate your, your book. So I wanted to ask, how do you create this voice? And, and if there is certain conscious, um, Attitude uh, that 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 you want to to imprint in the in the text that has to do with respecting the dignity of the people populating your story. One of the hardest thing of uh, writing Hurricane Season was exactly the narrative voice. It was a search that took me lots of months of just writing a lot without being able to find what I'd really wanted for the for the novel. But I tend to write a lot and then while writing, trying to figure out what the hell I want to to, to write. Uh, I envy the novelists that are able to, you know, do their outlines and then fill in the information. And sometimes I wish I could uh, write like that. And I've tried to write like that. It, it ends up being another different things that I find during the process. It's something also, oh, how do you say brújula in, in English? As uh, being guided by a, a compass. By a compass, more than guided by a map, you know? Mm -hmm. So after reading this new story and then deciding that it was too Uh, dangerous to go to Ciudad Cardel in Veracruz because it was full with narcos. So I decided to do a fiction novel. Uh, I already had like the characters. I had the victim, the witch. I had murderers, the, the, the witnesses. And I had a scenario. I had this small village uh, in, in, a, in an area of Veracruz that I knew really well. So I started working from there. And the first thing that... Uh, I started to write was like these voices of women of the town telling the story of the murder. I always wanted the narrative voice to have this gossip-like quality. For me, that was very important. And I wanted it to be a small tribute to, to the voices of my mom, my aunts, my grandmothers, uh, when they used to hang around and just start telling scary stories. And I remember being a child and and uh, I pretended I was sleeping so I could hear and they will start talking things that normally they wouldn't say in front of me. So I, I kind of uh, went back to, to that age and pretend I was sleeping and hearing these 
Voices of Women. But at the end, I didn't want the novel to be like a recollection of different voices and, and testimonies. I wanted the novel to have like a more uh, homogeneous voice that could uh, transform itself into a gossip woman, but also being inside the, one of the criminal's mind and, and also be inside the mind of another person who had maybe nothing to do with the crime itself, but whose actions uh, in a certain way had something to do also. So I was in search of, of this voice of trying to put together all these different kind of uh, voices. And I was lucky to have Martin Solares, a very good friend. He's a Mexican writer and mm -hmm. he recommended me to read Uh, the Patriarch's Autumn, I think it's the name in, in English, is a novel from Gabriel García Márquez. García Márquez used to say that what, that was his favorite novel. And, yeah. And it's not one of the most popular, but, it, but, but it's a real feat. It has like a constant uh, rhythm, a, const, a constant respiration, a constant breathing. And now that you're saying it, I totally see this in, in Hurricane <laughs> Season. Yeah, uh, I think that precise novel... Um, El Otoño del Patriarca in Spanish. In fact, it isn't one of his most uh, known uh, novels, but it's a real tour de force. He, he considered it his best novel ever, and I really love it. It's a magnificent literary feast. And luckily, I could find in this novel a kind of guide to what I was looking for. It is not exactly the same narr narrator as, 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 as the one in Hurricane Season, I wanted to give mine a sarcastic twist that sometimes uh, Garcia Marquez lacks. The, the voice in Hurricane Season, I imagine, is the voice of the devil, you know? But not a devil that, that uh, feels happy about people being miserable, but that sometimes just can avoid to feel a lot of curiosity of what's going on. And it is a voice that observes, that really looks close into the characters and with a lot of curiosity and sometimes even a naivete that's really objective. And, and that's it. I, I, I was very lucky to find what I exactly needed because uh, I don't know if that happens to you. It's so weird to be talking to you in English. I mean, I love it. Yeah. And, and it's great to be in this uh, uh, podcast. But at the same time, now that you said Cantina, I kind of uh, miss uh, having a beer and just gossiping around about all the other Mexican writers. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> I think this is the first time that you and I talk without a drink. <laughs> so I'm, I, I, want to talk, I want to ask you about your latest book, A Silent Fury, The El Bordo Mine Fire. Uh, that reconstructed tragedy in uh, 1920 that left 87 workers dead. And it's described as an act of uh, restitution to the victims and their families. This description makes the book feel as artful and ambitious in its attempt to portray a heartbreaking event as it does political. So uh, I wanted to ask you, uh, do you think literature should, should walk this tight rope between art and politics And how do you find balance when, when to tell the story and the social concerns that uh, you obviously want to explore? Well, it is uh, literature and politics. They are always, always tied together, you know, because the way you represent reality is always intervened by 
a political gaze on reality, how you understand gender, how, how do you understand power, how, how you understand injustice. And the way you talk about that, the way you describe it, is always saying something about the way you accept or you resist the world. And that is a political attitude towards it. What I think is a little bit naive is to think that our, our books would immediately provoke certain political change because literature works in, in the public sphere in a really slow way. Literature intervenes and through our language, literature intervenes our, our conscience. And that is how literature can, can be a political agent in, in society. And, and I want to link this with another part of your question. The thing is, this is an event that happened in reality, in my hometown in Pachuca. In 1920, there was a fire in this mine called El Bordo, and it had hundreds of miners inside. And the owners of the mine, who were Americans, decided to close off the mine when many of the miners were still inside. So basically, they killed them to save the mine. There was an investigation, and the investigation only tried to find out how the fire started. But they never actually tried to find out if there was some criminal responsibility on the side of the owners. So I have heard about this story for a long, long time. And when I was doing my PhD in Berkeley, I decided to do my dissertation based on, on, on this story. And so I, I did a, a research of all the, the written sources that still could be found about this. And I wrote up sort of critique about these sources. But that was just a dissertation. And then what I decided is that I want to turn this into a straight-out narrative, that I wanted to tell it as a simple story that could be read as anyone. Because in Pachuca, this is part of our memory that only existed within the families of the miners and people there in El, in El Bordo. And I wanted it to be something like more tangible that stayed there. I wanted to be a coherent version of events. So one of the first decisions that I made was that I wasn't going to speculate on the emotions of the victims or in the motives of the murderers, which is what they were, the owners of the mine, because that would create a false memory. And what I decided is, was that the, the silences populating this story were a crucial part of the story that the things we don't know because the powerful decided that we wouldn't know, or the things we don't know because time has obliterated them, that these silences are part of this tragedy. So I would just try to say it as best as I understood the story, but not trying to repeat the mistakes, the press of the time, that were saying things like, oh, these poor miners, these Indians, that they don't, they don't care about their life, which is an extremely racist thing that has happened in, in many registers throughout uh, Mexican history. For me, this is the tragedy, that these people were never able to say their part. And, and that it, for me, it was important to, to state that. And I don't know if this is something that it's important for you when you're writing, but for me, as important as what to do, it's important what not to do, because this positions you in a certain place in front of the story, in front of the characters, in front of the plot. For me, respecting 
the silence of, of, of people instead of interpreting them is also a political attitude. And in the sense that our narrative voices are stating something about reality in an implicit way, which is something that your voice in hurricane season is doing all the time. It's also stating ethical and political attitude. In that sense is that we start participating in politics in a really slow, slow way, you know? It's like the, the only way uh, that literature can really change reality is, uh, as you said, in this slow way, but also always like from the margins, always from the edges of our reality. And I, I want to also uh, go back a little bit to something you said about uh, respecting the silence the absence of information about the emotions and subjectivity of the victims of this uh, horrible, I will say tragedy, but it's more like a disgrace. In a tragedy, one has the feeling that you can always choose your destiny a little bit, right? But these people couldn't choose. I always thought that even if we work with words, it's a little bit as in music. Not only notes and sounds make a symphony, but also silence. And in this case, what not to do or what not to talk about for me in a novel that seems to be so filled with discourses and bad words. And, and you already know my novel only has eight huge paragraphs filled with voices and, and descriptions and dialogue. But at the same time, I wanted to keep something really quiet, emulating the hurricane that's in the title of the book. Uh, I wanted the crime itself to be like the eye of the hurricane. I wanted to reconstruct from imagination what it's like uh, to be a woman in Mexico and to get killed because of whatever reason and how afterward nothing happens. No justice is never made. So... I felt that I needed to leave the, the victim, the witch in this case, silent. With this narrative voice, we never get to hear or know what the witch is thinking. We never get to see her real close because I wanted to, to leave that a mystery. And also the, the main perpetrator is always like silent. I wanted to leave the heart of this, this passionate crime. I wanted to leave that like silent. Because and I, I, in that great image of the hurricane with a core that is that is silence, and you create all these forces. For me, that is a, an explanation of, of how art works, not trying to explain something to the last detail, not trying to solve a, a problem, but trying to to work towards it. It's like harassing reality without the attempt of establishing a definitive truth, you know? It's like just going around it and trying to find as many points of view so that you get a glimpse of it, but always the core of it is going to be elusive, no? I never thought that it could be expanded into art itself. I think it can be easily done. Um, well, I'm really intrigued because I know we're supposed to be talking about your uh, last book in English, but I want to talk a little bit about your last book in Spanish. It's called uh, Diez Planetas, Ten Planets. And I wanted to know what's in this gender, what's in science fictions that drove you to write 
these stories? Well, the, the jump is not from quote-unquote realism to science fiction, but the opposite. For me, science fiction and fantasy are synonymous with literature, with writing, because this is how I started writing as a kid. And this is the most honest and powerful way of doing what is most important in literature, which is imagining other worlds. And this is something that even realist writers do, because you are not just transcribing something from reality, but imagining possibilities uh, in the past, imagining possibilities in, in the future, you are creating something based on your observation. That's uh, part of the realist writing, and that is something that science fiction does in a very explicit way. One of the things that I learned from science fiction is the weight of every single word. Because in science fiction, since you are creating a planet or a civilization or a language, you have to be aware, as Borges would say, that every single word postulates a universe. That a word is like a biopsy in that sense, that you take a word and from that word you can reconstruct a certain context. That is something that is pretty apparent in science fiction, not so much in realist literature, but I think it's the same principle that you can use in, in, in both ways. But also what I would say is, as I was rewriting the, the, the Bordo Mine Fire or turning the dissertation into this narrative, and I was so worried about being faithful to the sources and be, being faithful to the language that existed in these documents that demanded a lot of precision, but also a lot of, of limiting of myself. So at the same time, I started writing these stories in which I would just do whatever I wanted to do. And it was a good balance. I don't think that literature discovers new things, but the literature gives new names to the things we walk by every day. And that literature underscores situations, events, people, that literature puts the emphasis in certain emotions or in certain stories that we just miss. For me, science fiction does that in a very fun fun way. It allows you to say things that are right in front of us, but only when you literalize them in a sort of fantastic way. So I'm just going to mention one one more story. Go ahead, yeah. El, <laughs> El arte de los monstruos, the art of the monsters. Because I have been thinking about this topic for a, for a long time. Are we never going to listen to Michael Jackson again? And we never gonna watch the movies produced by Harvey Weinstein. And um, 95% of the history yeah. of rock and roll, there's a long, long list mm -hmm. of horrible people who made great, great art. Of course, we need that because a world in which we only read books or we only listen to, to music made by really decent people because we also need that part of human consciousness, the part that has to do with, with the terrible part of ourselves, the terrible part of our souls. We need to, 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 to make this part of our, our culture. Mm -hmm. And anyway, I have been thinking, yeah, 
And I have been thinking about this a lot. Of course, not having a solution, just thinking about it. For me, this is literature, you know, just to get out of this room and to imagine monsters and, and spaceships and to find weird euphemisms to talk about sex. I think this is one of my favorite things in literature. <laughs> There's a couple of stories where I do this. But anyway, thank you for asking me about it, Fernanda. I always love to talk about monsters. A little bit of what I do has to do with that, but maybe from a realistic key. Talking about this freedom dimension that writing science fiction, it's for you. For me, I think it will be horror. And I've always been a horror story above, but also I love true crime. Mm-hmm. Sometimes there are, are they are not like the best written literature. And since I was a teenager, I connected with horror stories because no matter how much my life sucked, <laughs> I I I was always uh, better than the character who was being chased by a killer psycho clown or something. I think horror stories liberate me from the tension of growing up in a violent society that allowed me to understand. You know, like fairy tales for children, for me it was horror stories and, and true crime too, like serial killer stories from when I was a, a child and a teenager. I, I also think that helped me a lot to have empathy. Sometimes we, we think that being exposed to a lot of violence would make us unsensible, but for me at least it was the opposite. It made me think that I could be the killer or I could be the criminal, but I was lucky to have maybe not so bad parents or maybe uh, somebody who lent me a hand in the in the precise uh, moment or or I was just lucky to find books instead of whatever. So true crime has been like a like an emotional education for me. Yeah, and I think it's an education in the broader sense, no? Sometimes people think that education is just telling you the nice parts of the world, but but horror stories or crime stories give you a moral blueprint of how humanity works. It tells you certain extremes of the world, not that it's something that is happening all the time, but that it's something that might happen, that is there. And I think this is a good moment to introduce this Werner Herzog quote that says that deeper truth is an invented one. We have been talking about it, but I don't know if if, if you have any further idea about how storytelling bring us to deeper truths. Uh Well, in a country as Mexico, where we grew up and where I still live, we have a very long-standing tradition of a corrupted press, right? And sometimes I think it was easier to access the truth of an era through its novels than through its journalism, you know, because of the systemic problems of the press in Mexico and liberty of expression, freedom of of speech. And fiction is just another way of telling the truth. Uh, Ricardo Piglia, the Argentinian writer, used to say that it is not that fiction is truth or false is or, or a lie. It's just that fiction is another reality, per se. And when I was deciding between writing a nonfiction story for hurricane season or writing uh, a novel, I had this dilemma doing research or in exploring the feelings and emotion that I thought the characters 
she'll be having. And I got to the conclusion that there were different tasks, but at the same time, there were similar uh, experiences. So one did not uh, invalidate the other. No, I think they are complementary. I think that we, we need both kinds of, of these courses and we need both kinds of, of writing. We need, we need the, the, the kind of writing that is based on facts, that it is, is based on research, but we also need the kind of writing that is saying something that cannot be proved even though it's true. And this has to do with some of the most important things in life, like pain, like love, you know. And that is something that is beyond the explanations that science or journalism can give us about something that is so, so real and that is so powerful as that. No? Mm-hmm. And I think, as uh, George Steiner said, there is a dimension about language that it's always amoral. It's always unethical because language can be used to say anything. People ask me is if there is any difference in writing uh, fiction or nonfiction. And I always said that no, because what I'm trying to do is tell a story the best way I can. And for that, that means to make sense. That's what fiction and, and nonfiction offers you. It, it gives sense. It gives shape. Because reality is this fugitive time that is always passing by. And history and science even and, and philosophy and literature doesn't exist if people don't try to make sense of what's happening now with this language that can be used practically for anything. You can listen to more from Yuri and Fernanda reading excerpts from their books on our website pen.org slash worldvoicesdigital. Next time on These Truths, we bring you one of our favorite events from our annual World Voices Festival, Cry the Beloved Country. Each year, this special event features writers from all over the world sharing reflections of their home countries in their original languages. In next week's episode, we will hear from Russian poet Tatiana Volskaya, Turkish novelist Burhan Solmez, and Uyghur poet Tahir Hamad. So subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at PEM World Voices to stay up to date on all of the offerings from our digital festival. These Truths is a production of PEM World Voices Festival. Nancy Vitale produced and edited the series. Jared Jackson provided editorial guidance. Special thanks to Vivian Eng and Emily Follin. I'm Chip Raleigh. Thanks for listening. And until next time, stay safe. 